Disrupt Radio, the sound of Australian entrepreneurial spirit. Self-improvement comes at a cost, physically, financially, but crucially mentally. How do you stay sane? Maybe you own a business or an entrepreneur or simply want to improve yourself. Are you overloaded, overwhelmed and just over it? On Soul Trader, you'll hear from individuals who have achieved huge things in life, how they keep it together, and how they survive the struggle to success. Hi, I'm Nick Brax, and this is Soul Trader. Disrupt Radio. Life comes down to moments, and how you respond to these moments can shape our lives. Picture spending every waking moment training your ass off to compete as a diver in the Olympics making it to the qualifying round, hitting your head on a diving platform with the whole world watching, only to get back up on that platform, seize the moment and win the gold medal. Imagine accomplishing this success all while battling HIV, both the disease and the stigma in the 1980s. When faced with failure or unforeseen obstacles, we all have a decision to make. We can either allow that adversity to define the moment or even who we are, or we can choose to put it behind us and focus on how to move forward and try again. It's how we respond in moments of adversity that determine who we are, what we're capable of, and where we're going. This is where resilience is born, what shapes our character, our legacy, what we're truly made of. After suffering from a head injury during the 1988 Olympic Games, today's guest really showed the world what he was made of, and his legacy persists today. As the only male athlete to ever win back-to-back doubles titles in Olympic diving competition, Greg Leganis is considered by many to be the best diver in Olympic history. As one of the first high-profile athletes to publicly come out as gay, he used his platform to advocate for LGBTQ rights and to destigmatize HIV. Originally not thinking he would live past 30, he continues to evolve, challenge himself and influence people all over the world. Despite tremendous obstacles, like a true champion, he continues to meet adversity with courage and flexibility, never accepting defeat. Soul Trader. I met Greg a while back while appearing on an Australian television show, and now as a friend, I continue to find him a real inspiration. And you've got an incredible story and have done achieve more in, you know, your lifetime than a lot of people and have just and more importantly, you know, given back so much to the community and helped in you know a number of causes so yeah feel very lucky to be able to have you uh, giving your time to share this message with with our listeners sure my pleasure so we'll just jump into uh, your story are you able to give a background on where where you come from your career and how you got to where you are now sure uh i i guess the biggest thing would be to start at the beginning. Um, I was adopted when I, I spent my first nine months in foster care. And uh, and then uh, Peter and Francis Luganis adopted me. You know, kind of a rough beginning. I started in dance and acrobatics when I was a year and a half. Started performing on stage when I was three and I got a partner. And then she went into gymnastics. I followed her into gymnastics. Love gymnastics. It was my dream to make the Olympic team in gymnastics. And then we had a pool built in our backyard. 
And I started doing my gymnastic stunts at the diving board at home. And my mother didn't want me to kill myself. So she got me lessons. <laughs> and the first day out to lessons, the coach asked if I would join the club team. And I said, I think about it. <laughs> so, I, you know, I wasn't really hot on diving initially. But uh, as I grew, uh, I when I was 12, I had Osney slaughters. So I had water on the knee, which is, I guess, common for really super physically active children. And so my doctor said that I had to quit the acrobatics and dance and gymnastics, but I could continue diving. And so then that's when my, my diving career really shot up because all of that energy was focused onto one discipline. And then a year later, I became world champion for my age group. And then three years after that, I was on my first Olympic team. And that was when I was 16. And then uh, I won the Olympic trials in 1976 and was got a silver medal in, in 76 on men's platform. And then um, 1980, we didn't go. Uh, we chose a team. I was on that team, but we didn't send the team uh, because Soviet Union's invasion of Afghanistan, political stuff going on. And so I didn't have that opportunity. So I had to wait four more years to make it to another Olympic Games. And that was in Los Angeles uh, in 1984. And I got two gold medals there. It was my intent that I was going to retire. I was planning on retiring after the 84 Olympic Games mm. because I broke the record of national titles for USA Diving. And I got my Olympic gold medal. And I was planning on leaving the sport and, and retiring, moving on, doing something else. But what I was pushing for, I went to the president of USA Diving and I said, Phil Boggs, and I said, Phil, what's going on with trust funds? Because after college, you don't have any financial means to take care of yourself, to pay for your coaching, your housing, your food, any of that. But with trust funds, we you'd be able to do the commercials, the endorsements, the speaking engagements, exhibitions, um, you know, all of these things and be able to draw on that money for your living and training expenses. So I was pushing for that. And, and when I went to Phil Boggs, I said, what's going on with trust funds? He said, well, the only one it affects is you and you're retiring. So we don't have to spend all the cost and attorney's fees and get trust funds put into place. Mm. I said, fine, I'm not retiring, do your homework. So my intent really was to stay eligible until trust funds were put into place and once they were put into place, then I can, uh, you know, that would be my legacy, mm. you know, to leave to the younger divers coming up. And so it took two years to get it done. And I found myself at the World Championships in Madrid and I won. And my coach, Ron O'Brien, came to me and said, well, you know, it's just two years to the next Olympics. I said, OK, two years, I could do two years. But a lot happened in that two years. Because uh, six months prior to the Olympic Games, I was diagnosed HIV positive. And so it was a real terrifying time. HIV AIDS was uh, back during that time, 88, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, we thought of it as a death sentence. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, a challenge that I, you know, never dreamed of but 
you know, I'm a firm believer you don't achieve greatness on your own. And my coach, Ron O'Brien, was there every step of the way and supported me. And so, yeah, so it, it was it was a crazy, crazy experience in 1988. Absolutely. And, and I think it's such a good point. And for all of our listeners, I mean, this podcast is about entrepreneurship, well-being, how, you know, creating a mindset for what, whatever endeavor you're going down, you know, how do we, how do we learn from people like yourself that have excelled in areas? And I think it's one of the key points. You simply can't do anything on your own. We, Mm -hmm. every single person we look at, and I find myself doing this a lot of the time, looking at these people that I'm striving to, you know, achieve similar things and you're thinking, you know, what's wrong with me? How do they do all of this? I can't find enough hours in the day. But they've got teams. They've got processes. Yeah. They've got, you know, that support. So I think it's such an important point. Yeah, I mean, it it really is. And, you know, because oftentimes we're afraid. We think that we, we should be able to do it all on our own, you know, because we see individuals, we see individuals who are successful. And we think, oh, my God, they've got it all. They're doing it all. And no, they've got, te- like you said, they have teams behind them, you know, people who are supporting them and mentoring them and, uh, you know, uh, you know, helping them achieve their goals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's only, we all only have so much bandwidth, so much energy, so much time in a day. And it can be difficult because, you know, there's so many, um, so many things pulling for our attention, so many distractions, so many things that we all, you know, often want to do. So how do you direct that in a focused way to, you know, best utilize your own potential? Right. Exactly. And also no is a complete sentence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> uh, i mean and, and and you have to you know you have to express that you know if it's if it's beyond what you know that you have the bandwidth for um you know you can't people please you know you really have to be mindful and be realistic you know with what you can put your energy into has i know for myself it's probably been my one of my biggest things i've constantly trying to overcome people pleasing has that been an issue for you was it when you were competing uh is it something you've had in had as an issue in your life oh my god yeah i mean <laughs> horrible people pleaser I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 terrible um i mean because i i remember a couple of years ago uh, my, you know, cause like, okay, when you're an Olympian, you're an Olympic gold medalist, then people say, oh, you know, they, they're making up stories about you, you know, with just what they perceive and the assumptions that they make. So they make so many assumptions and say, oh, well, you did this. So you have to do, you have to want to do this. And so, and I, I followed that for the longest time it's like oh well you know you went to drama school so you've got to pursue your acting you you know then you you should have to do this you need to do that you need to and they're telling you everything that you're you should be doing and they're telling you how you feel about it too 
<laughs> on top of that and say, oh, you're going to love this. You, you know, I, I know this is, you know, this is really what you want to do. Um, but they make those assumptions. But a couple of years ago, my manager says, well, what do you want? What does Greg Luganis want? Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy crap. I mean, it took like two weeks meditating of, you know, uh, of trying to figure, okay, what is important to me? What is coming up for me? What are things that I'm, you know, that really light me up? And, you know, the two things that kept coming up was the dogs, my Mm. dogs, and health and wellness. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, okay. So that's, you know, that's what's important to me. But you, you kind of can get into a rut of listening to other people and then having other people define who you are and, and be telling you your own story. Absolutely. You, know, you, can, you can get caught up in that very easily because everybody has an opinion. It's, it's such a good point. And, you know, it takes a lot of strength of character and, you know, evaluation, like you said, to pull yourself away and think, hang on, what do I actually want? Where do I want to direct my right. time? And I think you you can't really do it unless you do remove a lot of other opinions because, like you're saying, I mean, everyone's got an opinion and everyone's going to tell you mm-hmm. not and often most of the time not because they're actually trying to harm you but they're just speaking from their own belief but right. the dangerous thing is we can have these people around us that we're getting advice on off on situations that are very um very nuanced and very unique mm-hmm. to our own life that very few people are going to have a better understanding than we do so right you want to be very selective about it. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's an important topic because I think it's one of the biggest issues we face in the modern world with all of the, you know, information overload and social media and everything. Yeah. Cause we have so much noise yes. happening and constant it's 24 seven because uh, Instagram, Twitter, all, you know, all of the socials that's 24 hours, you know, mm-hmm. they're, you know, just waking up in Australia as we're going to bed, right? Yeah. You know, so, it, you know, it's it's constant and, and it's global. So then you have those uh, expectations, beliefs that kind of ruminate about who you are and, and people trying to define who you are. Because, hey, gee, come here, come see mm-hmm. We've got a special guest. What? Yeah. Oh, there we go. What sort of? Oh, that's beautiful. This this is G. Yeah, and it's short for Gerard. And what what uh, breed is is Gerard? He's a Hungarian Pumi. I think know. the best mental health thing you can do is get a dog. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. He he goes pretty much everywhere with me because you know I experience social anxiety, which is challenging when you're at events and pe- people are expecting things of you and it's like oh you know and he's with me then i can always you know he, he grounds me because he gets me out of my own head about thinking what the situation is who's around and all that it's like oh i, I have to take care of him i know? find that you know so comforting and interesting you know because i have the same thing and so many people do you know with social anxiety and all those sort of you know, things that come up in everyday life, but, you know, hearing from someone like you, charismatic, 
you know, well-spoken, someone that you, you know, has been very prominent in the public eye, you just would never think that someone like yourself would have that issue. I kind of grew up in the public eye too. It's just not who I am innately. Mm. You know, I, innately, I'm, I'm really shy. And so, you know, having to do these things, uh, events, there are certain things that are expected of me. Some of the topics can be really challenging, you know, whether it is talking about domestic violence, whether it's talking about bullying, you know, you visit those those places in your life when you're speaking that you have to take time for yourself and recover. Yes. You know, and so a lot of times, depending on, you know, what the uh, topic of the speeches that I, I'm giving, you know, in a particular series or something, I need some time to like decompress, you know, to kind of let go of that stuff. No, those are places that I visit. I don't live there anymore, but I have to remind myself I don't live there anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very important, you know. So yeah. if you and I, I had a similar thing when I was on the speaking circuit in Australia doing, I think one year, you know, 150 of them. And I had mm. to completely, you know, I just got burnt out, it messed with my head. And, and you realize, hang on, what am I actually doing here? I'm standing up, bearing my soul, telling my story to, you know, things that people often might do not even want to hear with their therapist. Mm. So yeah. you got to be really, you do have to be so conscious about that. You got to put yourself first and do it in a way that's manageable for your own well-being and with with everything else in life as well, because you just you get burnt out otherwise. Yeah, you know, like with the Olympic Games. Did did you see the weight of gold with uh, Michael Phelps and that documentary? I know the one you're referring to. I've seen. Yeah, I've been meaning yeah. to see that. I haven't watched yeah. it yet. Yeah, yeah. David Budaya was in there, and and he said, "Well, somebody told me about the post Olympic blues. Well, that person was me." <laughs> yeah, you know, because I warned him. I said, "You know, after the Olympic Games, I mean, that's a high high. It's something that you work towards. You know, you either get there, or you don't. You're either either successful or you're not. You know, but ultimately, there's." a valley afterwards, mm. you know, because that's just the nature of things. You know, you're really high highs. You, you, you have really low lows. And do you, and, do you get addicted to that from, you know, that being such a prominent part of your life, I guess, from being a kid into your, you know, twenties as an, a very successful athlete. It, it, from my perspective, it would be almost impossible not to get addicted to it. That's the reason why, I mean, you have so many, uh, you know, elite athletes, you know, who have issues with addiction, you know, because it really is compulsion. You know, it's it's a compulsive behavior, you know, to get to that level and to an elite and an elite level is very compulsive. And so, you know, that's kind of uh, you've practiced it. And it's familiar. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it is, it's, it, it's a, it's, it's a difficult issue. And you know, I can only imagine what, what do you, uh, exchange one addiction for another? Mm, mm. And that would be a very tough transition. And, and, and the addiction part aside, it's sort of, that's been, your identity your whole life that's mm. the only that's what you're identifying as 
your if you reach if you're you know fortunate enough and resilient enough to reach the levels that you reached you've reached the top of this thing so then mm-hmm. you're thinking okay where do i go from here even right. removing the addiction how do i now channel what's my next endeavor because we need to you know keep striving for new things so that must be such a difficult thing for so many athletes yeah it is i mean and everybody i you know i don't care who you are if you're michael phelps or you know you know michael's been very open about that talking about all of those things which has been wonderful um it's given a lot of other athletes permission to address those things and examine them in their own lives yeah absolutely i mean it's pretty powerful hearing you know someone you know the biggest um gold medal winner in history or whatever he's you know i don't know what the number is but hearing this guy come out and talk about even after achieving all of this he was suicidal and Mm -hmm. had all these problems like wow and it humanizes it and it, it genuinely helps because I think at the end of the day, it's like what I was saying before about you sharing with, you know, the social anxiety. We just all want to feel that we're not alone, Mm. that, you know, we're all, we, we all deal with these similar issues in our own different ways. And we're all, you know, we're all the same and there's so much comfort in that. And it helps us to sort of try and manage it on a day-to-day basis and find, you know, find a way forward. Yeah. And, and the important thing is asking for help. Yeah. And, and giving you the confidence to ask for help uh because like if somebody like michael phelps or myself or whomever are open and honest about all of those things uh those challenges it gives other people permission to seek help as well so if we circle back to when you were competing how in that period when you you were going for the second olympics you had the hiv diagnosis you how how did you actually i I mean i know you told me you had the support but how how did you stay focused and i mean that is a huge amount to deal with there must have been so much pressure confusion just so many different emotions how do you stay focused daily and and then achieve on on the level you did uh going through all of that well, okay, so I qualified for four Olympic Games, competed in three. Every single Olympics was a totally different experience. You know, and that was, you know, that was one of the things that I learned early on is, you know, whatever that experience is, you're never going to have that experience again. Um, if you think about it, a, a dive takes less than three seconds. And in that three seconds is chaos. And in that chaos is your creation. Mm, I I mean, that's taking it to the smallest degree, Uh, not quite the smallest degree, but I mean, to, to a very, very small degree to encompass the entire 1988 Olympic games, because I had three meter springboard and 10 meter platform. Um, And basically it's one dive at a time. You know, you're executing one dive at a time. Um, I'm not a competitor. I'm a performer. Mm-hmm. So it was all about the performance. So I knew that if my performance was on, then everything else would take care of itself. But uh, when I hit my head on the board, 
in 88 in the prelims. I mean, I, I, I said in my book, Breaking the Surface, that I was paralyzed by fear because I didn't know what my responsibility was knowing I was HIV positive. Uh, when you hit your head on the board, um, I did get a little cut on the top of my head, you know, where my head impacted on, on, on the diving board. There was no blood in the pool or anything like that. I mean, what a lot of reporters say, because when you have an injury like that, it takes a while to, you know, because uh, their adrenaline's running, mm. you know, everything's tight. Uh, and once you, you know, take a breath and start, you're relaxing your body, then, you know, then it started bleeding. Um, but I mean, there was so much stuff surrounding that. But mm. my fear was what my responsibility was at that moment in time, because I was competing in a country that had they known, I wouldn't have been able to enter the country. They had travel bans mm. um, at that time. And so, uh, so it was a very guarded secret. Um, but what I looked to in that moment was uh, Ryan White, who was a friend of mine, a young boy who was a hemophiliac, contracted HIV through his clotting factor. He fought for the rights for kids living with HIV AIDS, their right to education, you know, to be able to go to school. And he was a fighter. You know, so I knew I had to find the fighter in me. And so Ryan, to me, at that moment in time, was my inspiration to get back on the board and fight. And so, um, you know, and then it really, it was almost like a, when I hit my hand on the board, it was almost like a wake-up call to my coach, Ron O'Brien, and myself, because my coach had a whole lot of stuff going on too. Mm. Uh, his mother had a stroke and was in a coma. He wasn't sure if he was staying. She ultimately died during the Olympics. Wow. Um, and so it, he was distracted. I was distracted with the whole HIV thing. You know, so there was so much going on in, in that moment in time. When I hit my hand on the board, it was almost like a wake up call to both of us to say, pay attention, you know, yeah. that it's one dive at a time, you know, just stay focused, not on what's going to happen tomorrow or in two minutes, you know, we had to be present. And so that really, uh, you know, it, it, and, and, and it took everything that we had. It was, it, it, I had been diving with Ron O'Brien for 10 years. You know, he was my coach for, for 10 years. And it took all of our love, respect, and appreciation for each other to get through that. Because that's... And it was really a coming together. Yeah, I mean it's just such a difficult thing to do to be able to put yourself in such a present state and block everything else out. And I think again, mm -hmm. you know, if we relate it to the modern world, most of us can't, um, you know, sit still for two seconds without looking at a phone or doing something. So it's just right. it, under all that pressure, it's just such a difficult thing. Uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, I think it's, um, there's so much in that, in what you just said there and, and I guess, do you feel like what you were saying with, you know, being in that present moment, the pressure, the all of those things, that, that's where 
the creativity is sort of bred from because you're when you get into that state that allows you to really perform and have that ability well okay in um in any uh athletic or uh performance you know even in dance acrobatics acting all of that uh performance is is right brain mm -hmm. so it's very right brain um and i'm a very right brain dominant person like when uh you know if if my balance is a little off on the board then oftentimes i'm not thinking judgment angle you know i'm forward i'm backwards it, 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 it it's not that it's a change of rhythm okay i i'm feeling this so i need to change the rhythm to that yes you know because then you stay in your right brain and you're able to execute you know uh instantaneous adjustments in order to be successful within that less than three three second window that makes a lot of sense yeah, that yeah. makes definitely a lot of sense. Because if you go to your left brain, by the time it goes back to your right brain, you're in the water. It's done. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got, I mean, and that's so because, yeah, it's hard to get your head around how you can deal with that kind of pressure where you're, you know, you're training for four years all day, every day, mm -hmm. and it's distilled down to three seconds. Yeah. Like just how the hell do you, deal with that because it just knowing that because it just the very thought of that would be just monumental than mm. no, the knowledge so what you almost have to just let it all go but that i just yeah i can't and get my you head know what? nick i mean you, you can interpret it as mon monumental mm. but you can also interpret it as freeing right because it's over in less than a breath Mm. you know mm. yeah so it's a language that you it's, that you it's fade to yourself right yeah yeah it's the interpretation the meaning that you give something mm. Mm. you know and and that's so much how we respond to the world you know is mm. what meaning do we give it what importance does it have and so then that's what either propels us forward or holds us back. Yeah. Yeah. And has that been something that you've been able to use in other parts of your life? I have. I've, I, I've been very successful in certain <laughs> things and not so successful in others, you know? It's just like we get good at what we practice. So yeah. if it's something that I practiced as a diver you know in diving i get it you know yeah. in performing on stage i get it you know yeah. when it comes to uh uh to making money and millions of, no i don't get it <laughs> <laughs> i wish i did <laughs> it's the opposite part of the brain isn't it it's that, yeah. that's the whole it's, left it's part. A, oh my god <laughs> yeah you're, you're a natural performer <laughs> yeah yeah oh wow so i guess move, moving forward from that 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 all really started for you um a, a path of being an ambassador spokesperson for hiv and a number of issues mm -hmm. uh how important has that been to you and 
you know, what did you learn through doing that? Well, you know, it's, it's been, a, you know, I, I never wanted to be the poster boy for HIV AIDS, you know, but I am a face, mm -hmm. um, recognizable face. Now, HIV AIDS is not what we used to think of it back in the late 80s, early 90s, or in the 80s and 90s. Um, it, it's, it's totally different. You know, there's a different attitude surrounding it. Um, trying to, uh, uh, you know, to address the stigma that used to be attached to it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's quite as much stigma, but, um, you know, just as mental health too, you know, being a stigma, you know, surrounding mental health. Um, so it's, it's different now because I was diagnosed in 88, uh, you know, I don't know how long I was positive before that, uh, or when I was exposed and it really doesn't matter. But at that time, being, di being diagnosed in 1988, I was told generally what the thought was is I had two years and I honestly didn't think I would see my 30th birthday. My God. I, I, I didn't think I would see 30 and you know, and I've had my challenges. Um, and then, uh, you know, when I turned 40, I was like, shit, I got to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, you know, and now at 63, you know, it's just like, it's, it's almost like the, the story has evolved mm. and is continuing to evolve. And so with that, you know, you have to, you know, make those adjustments. And, uh, you know, and it, you know, like I was saying about the meaning that you give things. Yeah. You know, now, if you get a diagnosis of, uh, if you seroconvert and you get a diagnosis of HIV, um, it's not, it doesn't have the same meaning as it did then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just evolving, but, you know, probably the, the hardest thing for me has been, uh, you know, really that I am still here because I didn't, I didn't expect that. I didn't, you know, it's like, well, I don't know what, you know, future, mm -hmm. you know, so I wasn't thinking future. And so now it's like, well, shoot, you know, I got to figure some things out. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And Isn't I can't, it, yeah. It's so crazy. The mindset. So you really just accepted and came to terms with that mindset that I'm not going to have, have a future. I've got two years left. Right. And then sort of, yeah. It, so the, that whole, so you, you had to deal with a, the double whammy of, you know, coming out of the uh, competing in sport, finding, you know, what your identity is, but also on top of that, that you just, you know, didn't even think that you, we're going to be alive. Right. So it's, yeah. it's just, yeah, a crazy adjustment. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. And, and then, and then yeah. changing that narrative and trying to figure out, okay, well, what do I want to do? You know, that, that was the question. What, what does Greg want? Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. now that that makes that question even that much more important. Yeah. And, 
Would you say your definition of success has changed over time through everything you've been through? Yeah, I mean, that is um, definition of success. It, you know, def- definition of success and truth. And it's interesting because we think truth is there's nothing else. But truth is actually a moving target. Mm. Because it depends on your belief. Because your truths, your your beliefs, a belief is just a thought. And if you have more information which changes those thoughts, then you have to change your beliefs. You know, success can, you know, is ultimately a moving target. It's like it what is what does success today mean? We can get so attached to these to that truth that we had. Well, I find this has happened for me so often. I'm attached to an emotion that I felt about what I thought I wanted 20 years ago, but I can't seem to intellectualize that. No, that's separate the two, that that's not actually what I want now, but you're still so attached to that feeling, that emotion, but you've got to allow it to change. You've got to realize, no, I'm a different person. I'm have, I've had other experiences. I've learned other information. I don't want the same thing now, but it's it's really hard to let go. Yeah, you know, comfortable pair of jeans or that you know yeah. that favorite T-shirt. You know, it's just like oh, you just don't want to throw it away because exactly. it's just so comfortable. And it's like okay, no, it's tattered. It's time to go. There's stains everywhere. You know, it's give it its blessing and and, and let it go. But a lot of times it's hard. And then and then if we see it just sitting on top of the trash, then we <laughs> go and snap it before the trash man comes, you know? It's just like we're rescuing, you know, those things oftentimes. Um, and a lot of times we're not even conscious that we're doing it. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. Letting letting go is the key thing, isn't it? We've just got to learn to let go of things and be yeah. more open to things, but it's easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know what, the best medicine, laugh at it. Yeah. You know, if you can laugh at yourself, laugh at the situation, you know, then shoot, you can get through anything. It's so easy to take life too seriously, isn't it? We can right. get caught up in our own ego and yeah, get lose context on, you know, situations. And yeah, I think laughing and just, you know, having fun, reminding yeah. yourself that we don't have to, you know, very few things in life are so, you know, there are certain things that are very important, but a lot of things, you know, they come and go and it's not the end of the world. Right. So yeah. you mentioned near the beginning that you you had that period not long ago where you, you know, you sort of went and assessed, you know, what what does Greg actually, what does Greg want? Mm. What do you really want? What What is that path now that you're going down and what did you discover that, you know, you, you're wanting to put put your time into? Well, the things that came up uh, that kept coming up for me was the dogs. Um, and I compete in dog agility. So I'm, you know, really into the dogs, into behavior, into health and wellness, uh, dog agility. Uh, those dogs are athletes, you know, and you yeah. have to care for them, you know, with massage and acupuncture and, uh, you know, their diet, uh, you know, all of these things, hydration, <laughs> all of these things that you're concerned about, um, health and wellness. I 
continue with my yoga practice. That's been a mainstay of, of mine. So um, finding that and maintaining that 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 balance. Well, you're doing something right because at 63, you're you're looking pretty good. You're looking very fit and healthy. <laughs> All right. So these final questions, the first one is what's the best childhood memory that comes to mind for you? Really strange. I don't know why, but, um, fishing on, uh, uh, my, my grandparents with my granddad, he, they had a pond on their property. They had like 300 plus acres in Texas, Mount Pleasant, Texas. And there was a pond and we'd go fishing there. Um, and I don't know why I just thought of that, but yeah. 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 What do you think's the biggest burden currently on mental health in society? People have gotten accustomed to or used to isolating, just connecting through social media and not face to face. It's a big issue. I think it's yeah. a huge issue. Yeah, and I, it's 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 scary because it's only getting seems to only be getting more extreme. Right. What would you say is your personal definition of happiness? You know, gratitude in, in whatever I'm doing, you know, be grateful for being out, outside on the balcony and or out walking in nature, you know, and, and seeing my dogs play and having fun. And that makes I love me that. Yeah. What are you most afraid of? Well, I'm not afraid of death. If I were to go tomorrow, I, I would, you know, have absolutely no regret. I think as long as you are open, honest, and authentic with your friendships, that you don't allow things to go unsaid. Yeah. You know? And so with that comes a peace. If everything was taken away from you in that moment, moment in time, you'd have no regret. Final, and final question, actually. Uh, what are you most proud of? It, you know, I, I said my book, Breaking the Surface, because people came to me on my book tour and said, you saved my life. You know, mm. this, you helped me come out to my, you know, my family or friends about my sexual identity or my HIV status or whatever. Um, it gave people strength and that's making a difference. And so I think that's all we're wanting to do in this life is to make a difference. Yeah, it's what my mother taught me from very young. Make everywhere you go better because you were there. I love that. I love that. Well, yeah, thank you again. Um, where can the listeners go to learn more about you? Where should we send them? Well, you can go to gregluganus.com. That's my website. Or at gregluganus is my social on Instagram, Twitter. And I think I'm still on TikTok. I don't know. I don't know. You can always keep up with those things well, and well, Facebook and Facebook. So please check them all out. And Greg, thank you again. I yeah, greatly appreciate your time. Always love connecting with you. You're an amazing person and feel very fortunate, like I said, to, to be able to have these conversations with you. So thank you again. Well, I appreciate you. I resonated with so many of the points Craig made. Most significantly for me was the opportunity to learn about the mindset of one of the most successful Olympians in history. The main takeaway from this was his use of visualization, starting all the way back when he was a little kid performing in school plays. He learnt very early on how powerful it can be to visualize your goals before putting them into practice. 
He talked about how he's more right-brain focused, which is where performance comes from. The critic on your shoulder telling you that you can't do certain things, that is always looking at the negative, is from the left brain. He's far more focused on being present, seeing a vision and executing it. I took a lot out of his discussion about viewing diving as a performance rather than a competition. He looked at it more as mastering an art form than just trying to win, and explained that it would be limiting to try and compete with others, as that would be setting a benchmark. By aiming for mastery and not putting a limit on how far he could go, he was able to remove the pressure and simply focus on getting the most out of himself. I think this mindset can be transferred to almost any endeavour. If you're running a business, for example, and always focus on the competition, you may limit your creativity and innovation. To be different, you need to be bold and do things that no one else is doing. By always focusing on improving and aiming for mastery, results are much more likely to come. Greg also talked about how he learnt far more from losing than winning, and that he would always double down on improving on the things that went wrong. I loved how he talked about embracing the suck when you're trying out a new skill and acknowledging that everyone struggled at the beginning. As long as you're learning from the process and are enjoying it rather than focusing on results, you'll have a much higher chance of success. We can all fall into the debilitating trap of slowing our progress by being too perfectionistic. It really struck home when Greg talked about how we can use perfectionism as an excuse for procrastination. I think it's also really important to take note of his points around asking for help. As he explained, no one achieves greatness alone. He would not have come back from hitting his head on the diving board to win Olympic gold had his coach not been in his corner. We need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to reach out and ask for help. That vulnerability not only empowers others by showing that we're all human, but it empowers us by getting the support that we need. Finally, I think it was really relevant how he talked about not comparing to others. He used the analogy of viewing an Olympic athlete and putting them on a pedestal, always looking at them as superhuman and superior to us. But what's not seen in that moment is the years of daily struggle, ups and downs and failures. In this social media age, we live in a world of comparison, often leading to us not thinking in the confines of reality. I think we can all learn from Greg's wisdom of just putting one foot in front of the other, focusing on your own journey rather than the destination and trying to achieve mastery rather than worrying about the competition. This is Disrupt Radio. Jeff Bezos, Ariana Huffington and Phil Knight are three of the world's most successful business people. What are their secrets? What were they like growing up and what's it like to work with them? Global Disruptors with me, Rob Middle, is the podcast that gives you the backstory of the world's most successful people. Rod Little unlocks the struggles and success stories of some of the world's best-known entrepreneurs with Global Disruptors. The riveting radio series that delves deep into the world of extraordinary entrepreneurs. Global Disruptors explores the exceptional lives of the trailblazers who dared to defy the odds and rewrite the rules of the business world. What sets these mavericks apart? What secret source fuels their unwavering determination and grit? How do they keep their eyes on the prize, ignoring distractions and overcoming the toughest obstacles? Global Disruptors isn't just about the stories. We'll blend thoughtful analysis with moments of lighthearted humour to bring you the full inside scoop on these remarkable entrepreneurs. Their triumphs, their struggles, and their indomitable spirit that propels them forward. Rod Little unlocks the struggles and success stories of some of the world's best-known entrepreneurs with Global Disruptors. 
only on Disrupt Radio.